Today, how should we understand the alt-right? And how is it distinguishable from the alt-light? I'm Kieran O'Meara, and you're listening to The Pollitt Podcast. America was, until this past generation, a white country designed for ourselves and our posterity. It is our creation. It is our inheritance. And it belongs to us. Hail our people! Hail victory! Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! What you just heard were two of the most important moments in the broader phenomena of the alt-right. The first was Richard Spencer speaking at a conference in 2017, the so-called founder, but certainly the corner of the term, (laughs) of the phenomenon of the alt-right. The second was the sound of demonstrators in Charlottesville, Virginia, in 2017, chanting, Jews will not replace us. Naturally, these perspectives are unpalatable to most, but they're significant because they represent milestones in the way in which the alt-right as a phenomenon was narratively constructed, how we broadly understand what the alt-right is. This brings us to today. How should we understand the alt-right? What is the alt-right? How can we define it, conceptualize it, or grasp it? And how is it distinguishable from its close cousins like the alt-light that often gets thrown in the same lot with the alt-right? How are they distinguishable? And what defines the broader phenomenon? Also, please go and check out Pollitt's social media on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. There you'll be able to find loads of extra content. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and follow. Let's begin. Since the inauguration of Joe Biden to the office of president on January the 20th, 2021, it may indeed seem as if the groups that vocally labelled themselves as alt-right may have retreated somewhat. Despite this, the January 6th storming of the Capitol illustrated the potential impact of such groups even if on this occasion they were unable to manifest any potential to take and hold power. In this case, they gained access to the capital, filmed their misdemeanours, and then retreated with a cocksure pride and a feeling that they had done something to enact change. It must be stated that those who constituted the mob should not be simply identified as a single unified group, be it alt-right, alt-light, nationalists, identitarians, libertarians, and so on. That's really significant. Indeed, the only unifying factor that can be deduced is that they were supportive of two notions. A, that Donald Trump had indeed won the 2020 election, with this win being quote-unquote stolen from him, and B, that forcible access to the Capitol building was required. Aside from this, it would be a disservice to our critical faculties to lump them all in together, so to speak. Nonetheless, 
One of the noticeable features of the mob that underscore and aid such a claim, the claim that indeed the crowd cannot be simply lumped together, were the flags hoisted by its members. Amidst a sea of Trump 2020 or Stop the Steal banners were a number of insignia and standards of the far-right, alt-right and alt-light. By this point, there is a plethora of conceptualizations for these terms. As far as the term alt-right is concerned, researchers emphasize different elements of its many qualities and conceptualization. For instance, the noted scholar of right-wing and extremist populist parties, Cass Mudder, contends with the Southern Poverty Law Centre that the alt-right is, quote, a set of far-right ideologies, groups and individuals whose core belief is that white identity is under attack by multicultural forces using political correctness and social justice to undermine white people and their civilization." end quote. Interestingly, the term alt-right was coined by Richard Spencer, whom you heard speaking a moment ago. In this regard, the alt-right can be defined by Muda as occupying some of the space he categorises as far-right, as a combination of both radical and extreme tendencies. Let's talk a little bit more about this. In Muda's framework, the radical right is defined as, quote, ideologies that believe that inequalities between people are natural and positive and that accept the essence of democracy but oppose fundamental elements of liberal democracy, end quote. This is distinguishable from what he pens as the extreme right, identified as, quote, ideologies that believe that inequalities between people are natural and positive and that reject the essence of democracy, end quote. This is significant as what we see is that Muda separates his dual categories on the basis of their attitude to democracy broadly. The alt-right may be considered far-right because of internal variations in regards to democratic attitudes, where some alt-right groups promote a notion of illiberal democracy and others simple non-democracy in regards to their identitarianism. This being said, other scholars, naturally, centre their focus on a different criteria to that of Muda in order to pin down how the alt-right may be understood. One of my favourite thinkers on this topic is George Hawley, who, for instance, emphasises the movement's internal dialectic with a particular mode of white nationalism and identitarian thought as an umbrella movement, where the alt-right label doesn't commit the individual to any particular political philosophy. Equally, other definitions emphasise the strictly active qualities of the alt-right phenomenon, so the way in which it manifests and acts in the political world. The greatest example of this, I think, rests with the work of Angela Nagel. Although Nagel's work has been thought to cause some stir, it's my contention that Nagel's conceptualization of the alt-right uniquely keeps it coupled with the intrinsically distinct phenomenon that makes it what it politically is, i.e. the way it acts. In her book, Kill Normies, Nagel states that the alt-right signifier, in its strictest definition, became an inclusive retroactive hailing of political position in online circles, absorbing the then newest wave of online white identitarian nationalist movements and subcultures. Here, 
we see Nagel return definition to the phenomenon's crystallization in our contemporary political times through its crypto ontology, the fact that the movement itself first of all generated from the digital public arena and really importantly, secondly, is reflexively self-conscious of that ontological condition to the point at which it is insisted as being an integral quality or part of the edos, the essence of the phenomenon itself. Although outside of the scope of what I wouldn't mind discussing here, (laughs) uh, it's interesting that at the moments when the alt-right have engaged with ontological shifts, i.e. attempting to manifest on a non-digital or material plane, such as the 2017 Charlottesville Unite the Right rally that you heard a little bit of a moment ago with the chant, Jews will not replace us, and you will not replace us, or indeed the January 6th storming of the Capitol, such a shift becomes the chief factor towards the movement's collapse and debilitation in the moment falling short of the potential to have conjured a genuine political rupture or event. Event understood as a regness, in a very technical way. (laughs) The inability for the alt-right to coordinate itself outside of its crypto-habitat to synchronise itself with a material ontology has, so far, thus proved to function as a modality of trip-switch or fuse. Thus, to ignore such a quality in conceptualization of the movement is to ignore something wholly integral to its functioning. Nagel's work never veers particularly far from the alt-right as a predominantly online political movement, as a questionable cultural or subcultural counter-hegemonic movement. Indeed, that's something that she discusses in the book, is the, is the relationship between the alt-right um, and parts of the alt-right and the thinking of Antonio Gramsci. Which is interesting because that, of course... Um, uh, connects back into a lot of thought of neoconservatives as well, which he discusses. This is a theme that continually recurs, this notion of questionable cultural or subcultural counter-hegemonic movement. For instance, in a 2019 paper, Viveka Green highlights the essential connection between the alt-right, its digital ontological condition, and its cultural connection to far-right satire, parody and irony, totally decoupling the popular narrative assumption that these actions work only in favour of progressive causes. The same can be said for the alt-right's connection to cultural masculinity, being innately bonded to the alt-right's online culture. Although perhaps more closely related to the meninism and anti-feminism oft associated with alt-light groups, such as the Proud Boys, some contend that its digital ontology lends agency to the movement, allowing it to have become a chief actor in a growing culture of violent sexism and extremism. This brings us neatly to the alt-light, which is distinct from the alt-right and yet somehow subsumed by it, or conflated in popular narrative at very least. How are we to distinguish alt-light from alt-right? Indeed, the two are distinguishable by the prism through which they view what they agree are the key contemporary issues. 
This is most coherently laid out, in my opinion, in the International Alt-Right, which is an edited volume by uh, Patrick Hermanson, David Lawrence, Joe Mulhall, and Simon Murdoch. In their introduction to the edited volume, they state, quote, While both reject left liberal democratic hegemony and the rights, freedoms, and or affiliated movements associated with it, and both concerned with the same set of issues, the left, globalization, gender, the West, equality, and so on, they view these issues through fundamentally different lenses. While both are deeply critical of the conception of equality derived from the liberal consensus, the core concern of the alt-right is the threat it supposedly poses to the existence of white people, and so they advocate for the protection of their race, usually through the creation of white ethnostates. As such, race forms the basis of its worldview. In contrast, the alt-light perceives the liberal consensus as a threat to traditional Western culture, and so is in favour of a Western chauvinist nationalism. The alt-right bemoans notions such as white guilt or white privilege, while the alt-right frequently talks of pan-European civilization and venerates classical Western culture. End quote. Thus, following this, we can see that although similar or related, the alt-light and alt-right are distinct entities in contemporary politics. Hence, movement like Jared Taylor's American Renaissance group and the Boogaloo Boys, although wholly distinguishable in relation to their praxis, can both be considered alt-right because of the dominant racial themes their politics engage with. Nonetheless, although perhaps as equally aggressive in their postulate LARPing as the Boogaloo Boys, the Proud Boys should be considered alt-light, fundamentally employing a distinctive lens to the alt-right, even if they do indeed display surface similarities, but those are the only similarities, i.e. those that rest on the surface. Gavin McInnes, the founder of the Proud Boys, and Richard Spencer, the founder of the alt-right, or the, the chief thinker of the alt-right, are very different, and have exceptionally different philosophies, but on the surface at points might appear similar. Therefore, although the alt-light and the alt-right frequently appear together at rallies and events, the distinction between them is to be ignored at one's own interpretive peril. As George Hawley states, quote, There is no alt-right pope with the ability to declare what is or is not an alt-right position. End quote. As such, we can gather that conceptualising the alt-right will always be a hermeneutic attempt at conceptual phenomenology. It'll always be an endeavour to interpret and reinterpret an umbrella movement in a constant state of flux, without gospel, unity, or common manifesto. In this regard, the alt-right should be considered as no more than an assemblage, perhaps. Indeed, maybe because, if, if we can conceptualise it as an assemblage, it would be in contention for classification as a Deleuzean body without organs. In their famous work, Anti-Oedipus, the first of their two-volume work on capitalism and schizophrenia. Gilles Deleuze and Felix Guattari conceptualise this phrase, or define this phrase, body without organs, as 
crisscrossed with axes and thresholds, with latitudes and longitudes and geodesic lines, traversed by gradients marking the transitions and the becomings, the destinations of the subject developing along these particular vectors. Nothing but bands of intensity, thresholds and gradients. Perhaps the alt-right and the alt-light, broadly as a single phenomena, even though distinguishable, could be categorised as this single body without organs, this nomadic, shifting, changing, traversing phenomenon. So, in regards to all of this, how should the alt-right be understood? What should at least a rough conceptualization look like? Following this discussion, a conceptualization of the alt-right can only be thought of as comprehensive even if to the slightest degree, if it allows for four things. First, a distinction from the alt-light. That's exceptionally significant, so to avoid interpretive and understanding issues. Secondly, an emphasis on the racial and self-described counter-hegemonic lens through which the alt-right views contemporary politico-cultural dialogue. Three, an account of its internet-based or digital political ontology. And four, an appreciation of its conceptual complexity as an assemblage. With this criterion in mind, therefore, the broad conceptualization offered by Hermann Sinatel hits closest to the bullseye, in my opinion. <laughs> Here, Hermannson et al. claim that the alternative right is, quote, a set of groups and individuals operating primarily online, though with offline outlets, whose core belief is that white identity is under attack from pro-multicultural and liberal elites as so-called social justice warriors, or SJWs, who allegedly use political correctness to undermine Western civilization and the rights of white males. Put simply, the alternative right is a far-right anti-globalist grouping that offers a radical alternative to traditional establishment conservatism. The eclectic and disparate nature of its constituent parts makes for large areas of disagreement, yet together they are united around a core set of beliefs. End quote. This definition, alongside their distinguishing from the alt-light, gets to the nub of what we can consider to be the conceptual phenomenon of the alt-right broadly. Equally, this permits enough space for conceptual ambiguity to allow for future groups to fall into such categorization, and for those for whom the shoe currently fits to splinter away from it, forming part of an already existing, or as yet, unseen phenomena. But who knows? So you've been listening to me, Kieran O'Meara, on the Pollitt podcast, defining alt-right, alt-light, and distinguishing between the two as part of one phenomenon. If you'd like to read the original essay that this episode came from, go check out the Pollitt website. There you'll be able to find loads of content that doesn't become a podcast episode, and alongside that, citations for everything that we discuss. 
Also, please go and check out Pollitt's presence on social media. You'll be able to find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and TikTok. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and follow. And remember, when you're in the mood for a think, think Pollitt at www.thinkpollitt.com. Thank you. Thank you.